It's time to eat. Get in my belly! Sit down and get ready to consume an abundance of fantasy football knowledge from Ross Tucker and Evan Silva. Me so hungry. On the Fantasy Feast Eating Podcast. Yeah, let's eat, baby! It is the Fantasy Feast Eating Podcast, and it is March Madness, baby. We want everybody to get involved at Podcast One Sportsnet. Go to betonline.ag, fill out your bracket, and use the promo code PODCAST1 for your 50% welcome bonus. I'm Ross Tucker, longtime NFL offensive lineman, loving the fantasy life and loving Evan's breakdowns of all of the free agent moves that have gone on. Evan, of course, being my co-host, the star of the show, Evan Silva from Roto World, at Evan Silva on Twitter. You can hit me up on social media, at Ross Tucker NFL, Twitter and Instagram. Facebook is facebook.com slash Ross Tucker NFL. Last week, Evan, we looked at the moves that had been reported as of Tuesday. Well, we're in a much different situation now because... There have been a lot more moves that I want to get your thoughts on. We'll try to hit as many as we can. Of course, going right down through the Roto World free agent tracker, which is awesome. Speaking of awesome, by the way, having credit card debt, not awesome. And not something that you should have to deal with. Get rid of it. Lightstream. I've been telling you guys about this. I tell my friends about this. I tell people, our nanny, I tell everybody about it that has credit card debt. You can get a rate as low as 6.14% APR with auto pay at Lightstream. So they'll go ahead. They'll pay off your credit card debt, and then you just have to pay them. Lightstream.com slash feast. If you use that URL, L-I-G-H-T, S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash feast. You get an additional interest rate discount in addition to the 6.14%. It's even lower. It's pretty awesome. Subject to credit approval. Rate includes 0.5% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash feast for more information. Evan, we'll start with quarterbacks, and since last week there's been backup quarterback news, Teddy B and Tyrod Taylor and Bortles and Hunley and A.J. McCarron, but the only one that's really relevant right now from a fantasy standpoint is Ryan Fitzpatrick appears to be the starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, who... I guess they're trying to tank. I don't know. You, you probably should have gotten a different quarterback because Fitzpatrick's going to go out there and try to sling it. Uh, he'll right. be very entertaining, whether it's four touchdowns or four picks or both in the same game. I think the idea is probably, hey, let's let's at least be entertaining if we're not going to be good. My question is, what's his relevance in fantasy football, and what does it do for guys like Kenny Stills, Devontae Parker? Yeah, I mean, every year Ryan Fitzpatrick is um, becomes a factor in daily fantasy uh, at one point or another. So I think that in that in that sort of a game, that style of a game, he could be on the radar in in play with you know Devontae Parker and Kenny Stills and maybe Mike Jasicki. Uh, but you know he, he's probably not going to start all sixteen. 
Um, I think that that's probably not a great bet. I mean, you just look at their offensive line right now. It's going to be hard for any off any quarterback to stay healthy behind their offensive line. They have one good offensive lineman in Laramie Tunsil and a bunch of practice squad type journeyman types uh, throughout the rest of the line. I mean, they are not they're not sold out to win in 2019. That's that much. That's very much clear. They're trying to do a full scale rebuild. Um, yeah, I think from a real life football standpoint. I think they could have done "quote unquote" better and gone after Blake Bortles for one year, one one million dollars, and you know wouldn't have cost them a compensatory pick, which the Ryan Fitzpatrick signing did. But yeah, I think that at the end of the day, you're right. They wanted to. They want to at least give their fans something to cheer about. Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to do. He's just a the the classic boom bust, high volatility, you know, player. And sometimes the results of his plays are really, really bad. Sometimes they're really, really good, and he can be entertaining. Um, and I think he's probably going to develop some chemistry with Devontae Parker. I think that that's the type of receiver that, you know, assuming Devontae Parker holds up his end of the bargain and he stays healthy and everything else, I, I think that we could see Ryan Fitzpatrick forming a bond with someone, whether it be Devontae Parker or Kenny Stills. And I think that Devontae Parker, with a lot on the line, um, you know, if he can grow up a little bit this season, I think that we could take him, see him take a big step forward. But yeah, I mean, in, in season, in regular season-long fantasy, probably not looking at Ryan Fitzpatrick in DFS. We're going to be talking about him this year. Feels like it's been a long time. It was a week ago, Evan, but we recorded last week on Tuesday, so I didn't get a chance to get your thoughts yet on Le'Veon Bell and the Jets as we transition into the running backs. We saw the Jets offensively take a big step forward over the final month of last season. They actually opened through the first five games. They were number 11 in the NFL in scoring. And then the bottom just fell out on them. Um, You know, offensive line really started to hit the skids. uh, And they suffered, you know, two high ankle sprains at wide receiver. They're they're two key guys, Quincy Anunua. After he suffered his high ankle sprain, his season was pretty much over. He didn't do anything the rest of the year. And then uh, Robbie Anderson also suffered a high ankle sprain. He finally comes back in that final month of the season with Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold has the highest QBR of any quarterback in football over the final four weeks of the season. And, you know, the Jets, they, they almost beat the playoff Texans in that Saturday game. You know, they, they, uh, they rally back from a deficit in um, – uh, in Buffalo to for a comeback victory, you know they went up to Green Bay, big time shootout. I think actually that game was uh, in at the Meadowlands. Either way, big time shootout against Aaron Rodgers. I believe it went to overtime. Uh, either way, it, it definitely came down to the wire. Um, and then they did have a bad loss in New England in, in the final game. But over the final month of the season, they showed a lot of promise offensively. Finally, got back Robbie Anderson healthy. And they were out there playing with Elijah McGuire. And Elijah McGuire is, you know, kind of your your typical, I think, replacement-level guy who does everything all right and nothing particularly great. And Le'Veon Bell, and he was playing like a full-time snap share, and Le'Veon Bell does all of those things really well. So just automatically upgrading Elijah McGuire from a versatility standpoint 
um, and the ability to you know flex the guy out and use him as a receiver, I think that that's definitely going to benefit the Jets. I think he's going to be a hot topic fantasy pick. You know, will people be be willing to take him in the first round after sitting out a full season, playing behind the worst offensive line of his career? You know, with a quarterback that definitely flashed as a rookie, but also had a lot of bad moments. Um, so I think he's going to be a polarizing guy uh, in, in fantasy drafts, and we're going to kind of continue to – I want to see the Jets add more offensive linemen. I don't think that they have enough. They need a stu- new starting center. Their, uh, their right tackle, Brandon Shell suffered multiple knee ligament tears uh, late last season. And I just I, I need I want to see them add more offensive line talent, but we will continue to evaluate the situation uh, as we move forward throughout the offseason. Yeah, I'm very curious to see how his super patient style that it feels like he almost invented works with a line that's not nearly as good as what he had in yeah. Pittsburgh. I think he's going to have to make an adjustment. I was really surprised, Evan. At Tevin Coleman's contract, I wonder if he got offered more elsewhere, but wanted to be with Kyle Shanahan. I just, yeah. I thought he'd get a lot more money than he ended up getting. Yeah, only four point two five million a year on a two-year eight point five million dollar deal. Um, he is still pretty young, so I, it, it at least gives him the, a chance to, you know, maybe explode back onto the free agent market in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. I think he will be twenty-seven. Um, but yeah, I, I was surprised that he didn't get more money than that for sure. And he went to a, a landing spot where he's going to have to beat out a lot of guys. I mean, the 49ers, they've got some pretty good backs, or at least they've got a lot of backs. Um, one of them is going to be Raheem Mostert, who they re-signed to a three-year $8.7 million deal. He's locked in after that. Their stud special teams back, and you know, he can run it a little bit. Uh, but he's he's locked in. Um, I think Matt Breida is absolutely locked in after averaging, you know, what five and a half yards per carry on one leg last season, all the toughness that he showed. He might be the best back on the roster. Um, and then Jarek McKinnon, who, you know, they've already paid all of his guaranteed money and his salary becomes guaranteed on April 1st. So they've got a, a decision to make on Jarek McKinnon, not that it would be, you know, huge cap savings, but they can get out from underneath that contract that doesn't look so good um, right now and you know, avoid that, that guaranteed salary by moving on from him um, before that April 1st date when, when the salary becomes fully guaranteed. Uh, but I think that those guys, those are the, the central figures in this. They've also got Jeff Wilson, who made a couple of starts last year and didn't embarrass himself by any means. But I think that at, at the end of the day, we're going to see Tevin Coleman, Matt Breida, a third guy as a runner, and then the fourth guy being Raheem Mostert. And then, of course, they've got Kyle Juszczyk. So that's a lot of backs. Uh, but I think that Tevin Coleman is going to get the, the first shot at being the lead back. I'm just I'm not convinced that he's better than Matt Breida. If Matt Breida can string together a fully healthy season, I think that he – uh, might emerge as the 49ers top back either way it's not it's a convoluted situation for for fantasy football that's that's for sure what about mark ingram in baltimore i'm intrigued by that yeah absolutely um i mean i think he's set up for a lot of carries 
You know, I think that he is like a better version of what they had in Kenneth Dixon. And if Mark Ingram goes down, they've got, you know, that, that lesser version of Mark Ingram in Kenneth Dixon. I think that Gus Edwards is, you know, a specific type of back, whereas Mark Ingram and Kenneth Dixon, a little bit more versatility. Um, so I think that Gus Edwards' role is going to be kind of solidified as like an 8 to 11 tut or rushing attempt per game back. And then Mark Ingram will be the lead back. And then Kenneth Dixon will be the guy who contributes a little bit, but mostly needs an injury to Mark Ingram to be a fantasy factor. Um, I think that we can't expect a ton of targets in the passing game for Mark Ingram because no one was getting targeted with Lamar Jackson under center uh, down the stretch last season. And that was a big problem for their fantasy values. Um, but I think that we can count on a lot of rushing attempts and, and usage down in scoring position for Mark Ingram. So, yeah, I think that he's going to be a rock-solid RB2 in fantasy this year. Let's keep it moving. And another running back that's back with his own team, Adrian Peterson. What do you think of his fantasy prospects after last year? So that this was a, this is a tough one to kind of process because it just really doesn't make any sense for the Redskins. I mean, and it's nothing against Adrian Peterson. It's just why are you signing a 34-year-old running back when, when you're, you're the Washington Redskins? I, I just I don't understand it. And it's more just kind of frustrating from the Darius Geis angle. You know, uh, second-round pick, a lot of promise as a rookie. Of course, gets injured. I think r- reports and just videos that we've seen that Darius Geis has put out suggest that his recovery is coming along uh, pretty smoothly after he had uh, some setbacks there uh, at the beginning. But it's like, do they not trust in Darius Geis's recovery? Is is that why they're re-signing Adrian Peterson? Is he going to come back and be their lead running back? You know, he still really gives nothing in the passing game uh, other than an, an occasional reception. And, you know, Chris Thompson is going to be back healthy. So it, it's not – this is not a fun backfield to try to invest in uh, in, in – uh, in, best ball or in dynasty or in, in any of these scenarios. And um, we're just going to have to kind of see how, how things play out. What about finally at running back Latavius Murray with the saints? Yeah, see, this was an awesome landing spot for uh, Latavius Murray. We talked about guys on the, on the first podcast that might be a little underrated that went in, went into a spot where, they could outperform expectations. I think that Carlos Hyde did in Kansas City. I think that Mike Davis did with the Bears. And um, I think that that is also the case for Latavius Murray. Jumping into that Mark Ingram role, he's going to be running behind one of the best offensive lines in football. Now the Saints did lose Max Unger. They replaced him with Nick Easton on a four-year deal. Um, they also drafted Will Clapp out of LSU. So they've got some options at center. Um, but the rest of their offensive line is, is studly. Uh, Andrews Pete, Larry Warford, uh, the two tackles, Ryan Ramchak and Teron Armstead. I mean, this is you want your running back in a situation like this on a high-scoring team. Latavius Murray, I mean, he's got double-digit touchdown upside 
in 2019 and going forward. This was a really, really good landing spot for him. And I think that Alvin Kamara is going to be, you know, what, what we usually expect Alvin Kamara to be. Um, and, you know, it's just swapping out uh, Latavius Murray for Mark Ingram. So um, that takes care of the running backs. Let's get to the wide receivers, Evan, because there's a lot of them. And we yep. realized since we were just going through and discussing free agents that we didn't talk about Antonio Brown's landing spot because he got traded rather than being a free agent. So we got to start this week by what your forecast is for Antonio Brown's free agent prospects, a guy that's been unbelievably consistent the last six years in fantasy football. Yeah, I think the first concern that you can look at is Antonio Brown's steep, steep dip in production whenever he doesn't play with Ben Roethlisberger. Now, Derek Carr is better than Josh Dobbs and Landry Jones, you know, but I think that Antonio Brown's splits with and without Big Ben are for real, and they're a testament to, you know, the notion that we talk about frequently, wide wide receiver and quarterback on-field chemistry. And, you know, the trust that they showed for so many years, um, that's going to be impossible to duplicate. And then, you know, let's look at the quality of quarterback that Derek Carr is. I mean, in his career, 6.7 yards per pass attempt, you know, has not been a proficient downfield thrower uh, throughout his career, has not been just an aggressive downfield thrower, whereas Ben Roethlisberger is up above eight yards per pass attempt and is one of the most aggressive downfield throwers in the league. I think that a, a big part of Antonio Brown's game is in the vertical passing game. And, you know, with the way that the Raiders have built their their receiver core, Tyrell Williams, big downfield threat, you know, big run after catch guy too. Antonio Brown, vertical, vertical receiver. Um, and then, you know, get, getting a guy like JJ Nelson as well. It's almost like they're setting up the receiver core for a different quarterback. Um, Kyler Murray was, was a very proficient downfield thrower, especially on the run at Oklahoma, Dwayne Haskins, big dude with a big arm. I'll be very interested to see if they wind up taking a quarterback in the draft, particularly at number four, uh, and challenge, and who would challenge Derek Carr in or allow them to move on from Derek Carr, who has a really, really big contract, um, you know, considering his performance so far. I just, I think that that situation is just kind of fluid right now in Oakland at quarterback, and they may fall in love with, with a quarterback in this draft. Um, but that's kind of my take on the Raiders receiver core. I think that Antonio Brown individually, I think he's going to be a, a second to third round fantasy player. Um, I think that he's going to get a ton of targets still, but I think that those targets are not going to be nearly as efficient and he's not going to be as much of a big play specialist and touchdown scoring machine. Um, So as opposed to being, you know, a a perennial top three fantasy receiver, I think we're going to move, see him move down toward the, the, the wide receiver 10 to 12 range. And where do you think Tyrell Williams falls? Yeah, not real high. I mean, he's not a guy that commanded big-time targets with the Chargers. Um, you know, I think that he – I I think that he, like, frustrates coaching staffs because he is – he's a big, tall receiver who 
doesn't make consistent plays in the contested catch game and is really more of a run after catch receiver. That's kind of the that's kind of the feeling that that I that I have always gotten. So he has not been a guy that coaching staffs have like tried to funnel the ball to aggressively in terms of targets. I think he's going to be kind of similar to what he was with the Chargers, which is kind of a guy who's difficult to predict week to week. Is going to mix in some big plays, but is not going to be a reliable fantasy uh, contributor. Other receivers that we need to chime in on, there's a lot of them. It seems like this is the number one position. Golden Tate with the Giants, Evan. I'm not convinced that there were other teams looking to pay him as much as the Giants did, but they obviously had a need after Odell Beckham Jr., who is obviously who I'm going to ask you about next. Yeah, Golden Tate. Um, I mean, I think that he kind of does fit like the the style of quarterback that Eli Manning is at this stage of his career. I think he's going to be, you know, I think that the the Giants need to, you know, if if they're going to try to be competitive in 2019, which is it, it seems like they are, then they need to continue to stress getting the ball out of Eli hands as quickly as possible. The longer that he has, he's holding the ball, the worse their offense gets, the likelier it is that he takes sacks or throws interceptions. So I think that they're just going to want to really focus on getting the ball out of his hands quickly. Golden Tate, as a slot receiver, can win early in the route, and I think that he does make some sense. I think he's going to play slot receiver for the Giants, and they're going to move Sterling Shepard to the outside, and I think that's not going to be great for Sterling Shepard. But I think that Golden Tate now becomes the favorite to lead the Giants in targets. I also think that we need to mention Evan Ingram, who has really positive splits whenever Odell Beckham has been out of the lineup. I think that we could look at Evan Ingram as being a, a, a prime bounce-back candidate this year and also a potential top-five fantasy tight end. Um, I think he's going to get a, a lot of targets this season. Wow. What about Odell Beckham Jr., the huge trade that went down uh, after we recorded last week? Your thoughts on what he does for that receiving core. And you can even throw Demetrius Harris in there. Just do the Browns receiving core before we even get to the tight ends, for including both Odell and Demetrius Harris. Yeah, I think that Demetrius Harris just is an upgrade on Darren Fells. You know, slides right into that role, a younger, better, you know, more athletic version of Darren Fells. Um, probably not going to get a ton of targets behind David Njoku. Now that could change if David Njoku, you know, goes down. Then we're then we might be talking about Demetrius Harris. Um, but right now, I think he's going to be mainly a blocking tight end and the complement to David Njoku. Um, Odo Beckham, I think, is he going to be the number one overall fantasy receiver in 2019? Baker Mayfield, as a rookie, as a rookie, averaged 7.7 yards per pass attempt. Eli Manning has not reached 7.7 yards per pass attempt in the last seven years. Um, Pro Football Focus had a a statistic that showed that um, Eli Manning and and just uh, rated all the quarterbacks in terms of their ability to locate passes onto the body or hands of their intended target, their intended receiver. Eli Manning was dead last in the league. Baker Mayfield, as a rookie, was number four in the league. So he's going to be able to throw guys open. 
He's going to be – I mean, this is going to be the best quarterback play that Odell Beckham has received in his career. So I think that he's going to be an absolute monster. I don't think he's going to lead the, the NFL on targets necessarily, but I think we are going to see the most efficient Odell Beckham that we have ever seen. I think he, he will also help the efficiency of Jarvis Landry, uh, but I think that Jarvis Landry's targets – are going to take a little bit of hit. We're, we're a little bit of a hit. We're going to see him be a guy that is more like how Jarvis Landry was treated in the second half of last season, uh, which was more of a five to seven target per game player, and not you know the ten to thirteen target per game player that he flirted with early in the season, and that uh, he of course was in Miami. Uh, but I, I do think that it's going to help the entire offense. I mean, I think that this is going to be one of the most explosive offenses in the league. Um, I think that their only their two concerns are the tackle spots with Chris Hubbard and Greg Robinson. Freddie Kitchens did a great job of working around the, that, those deficiencies uh, in the second half of last year. They also faced a softer schedule, um, and you know Baker, of course, was getting rid of, rid of the ball much more quickly after they moved on from Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson, but. I would like to see them in the draft bring in some competition at the the tackle position. I don't know if you can feel real comfortable going into a season with Greg Robinson locked in as your starting left tackle. Number one receiver, Odell Beckham Jr. That's interesting considering all the other weapons they have, but I like it. I like it. We'll see. Uh, He's even tweeting stuff about he's going dark and then he deletes it. I don't know. I'm, I'm a little skeptical still of kind of where his head's at, but uh, he is a very, very talented guy. What about a couple of guys that the Bills signed, Evan? Let's go up to Buffalo. John Brown and Cole Beasley. Where are you on those two guys? Um, Cole Beasley, one of, the, one of the signings that I liked least uh, during the free agency period from both a real-life and fantasy standpoint. I don't I, – I just – the, the style of player that he is really does not fit with Josh Allen, who's like, you know, a big kind of boom bust power thrower. You know, that's not that's not the kind of skill set that we're looking for, really, uh, to match up with, with with Cole Beasley. I think John Brown does fit in with Josh Allen uh, from a skill set standpoint, because um, in, in year one of Josh Allen, he attempted 19.7 percent of his throws. 20-plus yards downfield, by far the most in the NFL. Where does John Brown excel? Getting open downfield. You know, he's kind of like um, kind of like the, 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 the dog in the Frisbee. He can go get it, you know. And I think that John Brown is that kind of player. And uh, Josh Allen, as a rookie, had one, one player kind of like that, Robert Foster, an undrafted rookie. And they had a lot of success going down the football field. I think that they can they, they, now they have two of those guys, and I think that's the right way to build around Josh Allen, not to get you know big slow receivers that kind of in, enhance his his uh, completion rate theoretically by you know just having wide catch radiuses, but by having guys who can run down the football field. Josh Allen, I mean, he's not an accurate thrower; he's going to miss a lot of throws to them. But man, when they when they come when they hit. And they're going to hit eventually because, like I said, John Brown can go get it. Robert Foster can go get it. Um, then those are going to be really, really big plays and potentially game-changing plays. Um, 
So I think we're, we're going to see a lot of inconsistency continue from Josh Allen as a passer, but he showed that he can be an elite runner uh, from the quarterback position. And now he's got, you know, some at least like respectable weapons. They also picked up Tyler Croft to be their possession tight end. I would like to see them go after maybe like a Noah Fant, like a, a vertical tight end uh, to continue to supplement Josh Allen's pass catcher core. Other receivers that I want to get into, Evan, with you include, let's go to Dallas. Just happened last night. Randall Cobb, one year, five million. Is he a fantasy factor? Um, I mean, I think to the extent that Cole Beasley was, you know, so not really. Um, maybe like a lot last round or so, best ball pick. I mean, Randall Cobb hasn't been good and hasn't been healthy for a lot of years in a row now. He's still only 28 years old. So, I mean, you can continue to hold out optimism on him, but, you know, not not, not a guy to get super excited about. I think that that, that offense is still going to be built around trying to force the rock to Amari Cooper. Um, you know, they paid that price. I think they, lo- they paid the big price for him. They're going to be giving him, him a big contract soon. And I, I think that they, they fell in love with Amari Cooper and the impact that he had on their offense uh, down the stretch last season. And the other, all the other guys are just going to be kind of complimentary guys in, in a super run-heavy offense where Ezekiel Elliott took a big step as a receiver last season too. What about, I'll give you like four more names and you tell me if any of these guys are relevant in your mind. Dante Moncrief with the Steelers. Philip Dorsett with the Patriots, Cordell Patterson with the Bears, or Brashad Perriman with the Bucks. Uh, the first guy that you said, uh, Dante Moncrief, I think has a chance. You know, and he's going to be a classic example of a guy that where I think that the coach speak and you know what goes on in OTAs and training camp is going to matter because. I think that four of these quarterbacks, especially as they start to get older and they just always know what they're going to do, what they personally are going to do and where they want you to be. Trust factor is such a big deal. You know, we hear about it a ton with Aaron Rodgers. We hear about it a ton with Tom Brady. And I think the same is the case with Ben Roethlisberger. He always had that trust in AB. I think he's got it with Juju Smith-Schuster. I think he's got it to some extent with Vance McDonald. He did not have it with James Washington uh, as a rookie. That doesn't mean that that, that won't change in, uh, in, in year two. I'm, I'm optimistic that it will. But I want to hear like good things about you know, the, the chemistry that Ben Roethlisberger and Dante Moncrief are showing in practice. We've seen that Dante Moncrief can be a big-time touchdown scorer. We saw that with him and Andrew Luck early in his career. He's been super inconsistent since the since the days of Andrew Luck. Though he he really has had abysmal quarterback play, you know, particularly last year with Blake Bortles and Cody Kessler. Um, so that was and he, and he still had some big games at times. He's got big playability, but I think that he could be a guy that kind of falls off quick in Pittsburgh or or catches on with Big Ben. And Big Ben has always talked about how he wanted like a bigger receiver. He is, I guess, he has talked about that less in in recent years. But 
he always talked about, or for a long time, he talked about how he wanted a big receiver, especially after he lost Plaxico Burris. This can be the biggest outside receiver that he's had um, in, in quite some time, So, or at least since Martavis Bryant. So um, I think that Dante Moncrief has a lot of upside. I think he's boomer bust, but I think he's got a lot of upside, and I'm going to be paying attention very closely to that on-field connection and, and whether it develops. Let's move on then. Anybody else um, that Cordero, Patterson, Brashad, Perriman, Dorsett that you need to mention, or is that good? No, I mean, it's another great opportunity for Dorsett. You know, they didn't give him very much money. Um, they might draft someone still. Perryman is just kind of, you know, he's a, I think he's going to be like a clear out guy. Um, you know, I, we, we've got Chris Godwin and we've got Mike Evans there and we've got OJ Howard. I mean, those guys are going to need footballs. And I think that Brashad Perryman is going to struggle to see very many footballs in Tampa Bay, barring an injury to another guy. Tight end time. We already talked about Demetrius Harris. Only three other guys we really need to mention. One of which is Tyler Eifert back with the Bengals again. And man, I hope that that guy stays healthy. I, I really, right. he was an awesome player. I mean, there, I remember there were years we were talking about him as a top five tight end. Yeah, I mean, he was. I mean, he, at least for one season, I think he had a, he had a year with 13 touchdowns. Um, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we talk about Tyler Eifert every year. It's, it sounds good in theory. It, it, ne- it never happens, but we, we know that the potential is there. I mean, I think that even last season in what the five or six games that he played, he showed a lot that, that he could still play. It's just a matter of staying healthy. I, there's really no analysis to be done beyond that. And I think that we've kind of determined that the percentage chances of um, Tyler Eifert staying healthy are probably pretty low. Um, but we, we do know that there is risk and that there is potential reward there. The other two I wanted to ask you about, and let me know if they are fantasy relevant in your mind at all. Jeff Hireman, back with the Broncos, two years, $9 million, and Jeff Swain leaves Dallas now that Jason Witten is back. I don't even know if we talked about Jason Witten last week. And Jeff Swain's in Jacksonville. Yeah, you know, Jeff Hireman kind of flirted with fantasy value last year with Case Keenum used him a little bit in daily fantasy when he was uh, minimum price. He had a really big game against the Texans, like a 10 catch 94, one touchdown game against the Texans. Uh, I don't think he's bad by any means. And I think he's the clear favorite to start in Denver. Now with Joe Flacco, who leaned on tight ends heavily when he was in Baltimore. Um, You know, you think of, Dennis Pitta having 90 catch years and you know, Owen Daniels being a factor. They, you know, they would always bring in tight ends as well. Max Williams, but you know, he, he targeted uh, Ben Watson and he targeted tight ends at a, a pretty high rate in Baltimore. And it wouldn't be surprising if that carried over to Denver. So yeah, I mean, Jeff Hoyerman going back to Denver, that's actually one of the best case scenario landing spots that he could have had. Jeff Swaim less optimistic. I mean, they're kind of, trying to you know patchwork together uh uh you know uh, an offensive skill unit there uh with you know signing nick Foles and signing jeff swaim and 
brain, you know, I mean, there's just going to be a lot of, you know, a lot of like chemistry building to do in Jacksonville. None of those guys really know each other. Excellent stuff, Evan. Love the breakdown. We'll probably even get to a couple more guys that sign next week. What everybody needs to get to is betonline.ag for anything, whether it's the draft, but especially this week with March Madness starting tomorrow. I know that there was already the first four, whatever, and there's more tonight. No, 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 no. The real deal is on Thursday, and I already filled out a bracket over at betonline.ag that you can check out using the promo code PODCAST1 for your 50% welcome bonus. I was even watching the Temple game with some buddies last night. Here's the deal. Each week throughout the tournament, PODCAST1 Sportsnet show that has picked the most games correctly, so it might be Harbaugh or Corolla or Shaq or Rich Eisen or Dan Patrick or me or whatever, will be rewarding listeners with money in your betonline.ag account. But you got to have a betonline.ag account so that if I win, I can put the money in your account. It's the hashtag Sportsnet Brackets presented by betonline.ag. March Madness. Don't miss out. Wednesday at midnight. Tonight at midnight is the deadline. Don't forget to use that promo code PODCAST1. That will do it for a huge fantasy feast wrapping up a busy, busy eight days in terms of skill position players. We'll be back next week to fill in the blanks and should have a terrific guest for you as well. Other than that, I'm stuffed. We're done. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Feast Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Even Money, and the College Draft Podcast, all available on iTunes at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts can be found.